This is day 32 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be reading Numbers chapters 8 through 11 and Psalm 32. Lord God, we are grateful to come into your presence this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being such a good God to us. You are our creator, you are our friend, you are our master, and we realize, Lord, that apart from you, we are nothing, and we can do nothing. All of our efforts will be in vain if you are not in it. May your hand guide us in the days ahead. May the feet of your son Jesus be the path that we walk and the guide that we follow. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them for their cleansing. Sprinkle purifying water on them, and let them use a razor over their whole body, and wash their clothes, and they will be clean. Then let them take a bull with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bull you shall take for a sin offering. So you shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, and present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, then offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord, to make atonement for the Levites. You shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons, so as to present them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve in the tent of meeting. But you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself, instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals, on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel, to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting, and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel, so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel to the Levites. 
according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the sons of Israel did to them. The Levites, too, purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them. Then, after that, the Levites went in to perform their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and before his sons, just as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So they did to them. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is what applies to the Levites. From twenty-five years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of fifty years, they shall retire from service in the work, and not work any more. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the sons of Israel did. But there were some men who were unclean because of a dead person, so that they could not observe the Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. Those men said to them, Though we are unclean because of the dead person, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, Wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day, at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. If an alien sojourns among you and observes the Passover to the Lord, according to the statute of the Passover and according to its ordinance, so he shall do. You shall have one statute, both for the alien and for the native of the land. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening, It was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continually, 
the cloud would cover it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime or at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the Lord's charge, according to the command of the Lord through Moses. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make for yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Yet if only one is blown, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall assemble before you. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown for them to set out. When convening the assembly, however, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets. And this shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, and in your appointed feasts, and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now in the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth of the month, the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. The standard of the camp of the sons of Judah, according to their armies, set out first, with Nashan, the son of Amminadab, over its army, and Nethanel, the son of Zuar, over the tribal army of the sons of Issachar, and Eliab, the son of Helon, over the tribal army 
of the sons of Zebulun. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who were carrying the tabernacle, set out. Next, the standard of the camp of Reuben, according to their armies, set out with Elizer, the son of Shadur, over its army, and Shelomiel, the son of Zerishadai, over the tribal army of the sons of Simeon, and Eliasaph, the son of Duel, over all the tribal army of the sons of Gad. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Next, the standard of the camp of the sons of Ephraim, according to their armies, was set out, with Elishama, the son of Amihud, over its army, and Gamaliel, the son of Padazer, over the tribal army of the sons of Manasseh, and Abidan, the son of Gideoni, over the tribal army of the sons of Benjamin. Then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps, set out, with Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, over its army, and Pagiel, the son of Okrin, over the tribal army of the sons of Asher, and Ahira, the son of Inan, over the tribal army of the sons of Naphtali. This was the order of march of the sons of Israel by their armies as they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do you good, for the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, I will not come, but rather will go to my own land and relatives. Then he said, Please do not leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will be as eyes for us. So it will be, if you go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do for you. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for the three days, to seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the Ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee from before you. When it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at 
except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedellum. The people would go about and gather it, and grind it between two millstones, or beat it in the mortar, and boil it in a pot, and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a nursing infant, to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat, not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat, so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out, and told the people the words of the Lord. Also he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people, and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took of the Spirit who was upon him, and placed him upon the seventy elders. 
and when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibrath Hata'ava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibrath Hata'ava, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a masculine. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered! How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit! When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Salah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart.
Okay, so we finished the reading of numbers for today, and we see a shift in the way that the readings are going. So let's see what we discovered today. Chapter 8 talks about the separation of the Levites for their service. God has separated them as his special tribe that are going to perform his work in the temple. So the first thing that needed to happen was, through their ordination, they were going to become ceremonially clean. And the meaning behind the term ceremonially clean is, quite literally in the Hebrew, to be de-sinned. Basically, the, in other words, it is very much a purification of sin from these individuals. So in the process of being cleansed for the duties of a priest, they are being de-sinned in a way. So they were to be sprinkled with water, as we saw, and they were to shave off all the hair on their entire bodies. And then they had to bring the grain, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, and all that. And then the representatives of the people of Israel laid their hands on the Levites because they were going to be substitutes for all the firstborns of the land of Israel. Because they were going to be the substitutes for the firstborns of the nation of Israel. This is not the first time God has said it, but now we are seeing it being fully enacted here. There is some deep symbolism in this that we need to keep in mind. Jesus Christ is our final substitute, to be sure. But at the same time, we are similar to Levites in the sense to where we are ceremonially clean in the eyes of God. And not only that, but we are called into God's service in his holy place, which is today what we call the church. So we as a body of believers are supposed to be working in service of God, not only in your local church, but also in the good works that he has set up for you. Do you know what good works he has planned for you? Hopefully you're doing some. Hopefully you're asking God what they are. But even if you don't know yet, you certainly can pray for it, as well as find somewhere in your church to be involved in if you're not already. Everyone has a part to play in God's economy. All of the body of Christ, all the many components of the church, have specific functions, and everyone has a place. Some may be greater than others, some may be more prominent than others, but they are all equally valuable in God's sight. So for the Jewish people, the Levites were separated for God's service. They were added to the employee roster, so to speak, at the age of 25, and they got to retire at 50. That's a pretty good retirement plan, if you ask me. Putting in 25 years of work, and then you could retire from service? That's pretty cool. Then in chapter 9, we see that they have completed one full year in the wilderness. And to celebrate that and to remember where they came from, God commanded that they observe the Passover. So God reminded them what they needed to do for the Passover, but also there were a couple of people that were unsure if they could participate in the Passover. So they went to Moses and asked him, Hey, we are technically unclean because we have been around a dead body. Are we supposed to do the Passover? Because you're not letting us do it, because we're unclean. But I don't know if that's fair. Do you think you can ask God and 
see if we can do it or not? So Moses said, okay, let's go and ask God. So he appeals to God, and God says, yes, they can. They can't do it right now, but there will be another period of time that they can do it to make up for it. And that will be a month from now. However, I am God. I know if people are lying to me or not. And if people are not taking the Passover right now as an excuse to get out of it and saying, oh, no, no, I'll just do it on the next one, then that is wrong. If you are declared clean, then you must take the Passover. That is not an option. If you do not, you will be cut off from your people. In other words, you will be banished from the tribe of Israel. That's a big deal. God took this very seriously, and we should take it seriously today as well. After the Passover, the second half of chapter 9 discusses how the people were led by God. This was something we saw at the end of Exodus, and we get to see it here again in repetition. We see that any time that God moved, the people followed, and God protected them along the way. He was a cloud by day, and he was like fire at night. You couldn't miss him, and he was there to protect and to make clear that he was in charge. His sovereignty, his kingship, was in full display here. And any time he moved, the people came with. And that was how it was supposed to be. Then in chapter 10, we see movement. We see the people pick up from Mount Sinai and move from that place. The Lord commands Moses to make some trumpets and use them in particular ways to either summon leaders to the tabernacle or summon the whole congregation, or as a war trumpet to declare a national emergency, whether it be war or otherwise. So this is laid out for us here. And then in the second half of chapter 10, we see them march. They marched in the order in which God had commanded by the different tribes, and how the Levites were in the middle of that, and they took down the tabernacle and separated the holy objects. And some of the groups set up the tabernacle before the holy objects arrived, and so on and so forth. All very structured, all very organized. And then near the end of chapter 10, we see Moses talk to somebody named Hobab. Now we've seen Ruel, the Midianite, before. That's Moses' father-in-law. But who is Hobab? It says Hobab is the son of Ruel. So in other words, this is Moses' brother-in-law. So Moses was telling Hobab that they were going to travel, and he invited him to come with them. Not only for him to believe in the Lord, but he also wanted him to be able to benefit from his knowledge of the area. Now, it seems at first that Hobab is resistant to it. He's like, no, no thanks, I'll go back home. And yet we see Moses insist that he comes. Now, it doesn't say whether he says yes or no here, but it's kind of implied that he did come, because the people of the Midianite family, they are later going to be called the Kenites. The Kenites are going to play a role later on in Israel's history, and they will settle in the land of Canaan. So it is implied that he ended up coming with his family anyway. And then we come to a period that is hard to read, but we know that the people are going to do this again and again and again we see that the people begin complaining. 
So first, they begin arguing about stuff, and we don't really know what they're arguing about at the beginning of chapter 11, but it leads into the real issue going on in people's hearts. They wanted tasty food. They were complaining that God was not giving them what they needed. So they demanded meat. Give us meat. We wish that we were back in Egypt, where it says that they used to eat free in Egypt. All the delicious things we missed. Oh man, the cucumbers and the melons and the onions, the leeks, the garlic. But now all we've got is this stinking manna. This good-for-nothing piece of garbage manna that we are so sick of eating. How ungrateful of a people they are. We can be that way too. So again, don't be too upset with these people because they are just an illustration of the human condition. But they saw all these wondrous things that God was doing, and yet they still got greedy. They wanted more. It was not enough to be satisfied with the goodness of God. They wanted meat. And being a carnivore myself, I understand this to some degree, but if God was taking care of my bread needs from heaven, I would be a little less inclined to argue about meat. But regardless of my opinion on it, the condition of their heart is what God is most upset about. They were greedy. They were dissatisfied. They craved more from God than what they were getting, despite all the many things he was doing for them. So he's like, you know what? You want to have meat? I will give you meat. I will give you so much meat that you're going to be sick of it. And this is going to show you that what I have given you is sufficient. And that is the lesson that he's trying to teach the people here. And this is something very valuable that we need to learn today. You have arrived at this point in your life because God has declared it so. Your financial status, your marital status, how many kids you have, what career you're in, what church you're in, all of it was by his guiding hand, whether you acknowledge that or not. That is reality. So it is all in God's goodness that you have what you have. Not everyone is meant to have a lot of money. Not everyone is meant to have a lot of influence. Not everyone is meant to have a Mercedes or a BMW. You have what you have because that is God's gift to you. So if we recognize the reality that we have little control of anything in our lives, then we should recognize that God's sovereign hand is what is sufficient. He has given you all that you need. There are no guarantees he's going to give you everything you want. These people got everything they needed and more. And yet they were not satisfied. They wanted more. And so God is showing them, I will give you what you ask for, but that is not going to satisfy you. And on top of that, I am going to punish you for your behavior. This is unacceptable in God's people. So the people wanted meat, they got meat. And did you see how much meat they got? It said that quail from the sea landed outside the camp. It was all around the camp. And remember, this is a million and a half people. All around the camp, two cubits deep on the ground. The quail were so congested that they were stacked upon each other three feet high. 
man, that's a lot of birds. And so all the people of Israel went into a feeding frenzy. It said that the person who got the least amount of quail got 10 homers of quail. You know how much that is? You're talking about at least five pounds of quail. At least. And so the people were eating like crazy. They were frenzied over this. And God was angry with their lust and with their greed. And so they got what they wanted, but God is going to discipline them now. He put a plague upon them, and it was severe. We don't really know exactly what he did to them, but it was severe, whatever it was. And apparently, the plague caused people to die, because it says, after they named the place, that this is where they buried people who had been greedy. You don't bury people unless they're dead, right? So that means a lot of people died because of this. They named the place Kibroth Hatah Avah, which literally means graves of lust or graves of carnal craving. There's a very important lesson to learn from this as well. We should not be people who are driven by lust. And again, there are no coincidences with God, but the psalm that we read directly relates with this. And it's so beautiful because I don't plan any of this. This is all just falling into place exactly at God's design. But very briefly, before we leave Numbers, there was one very brief story mentioned that I want to talk about. In verse 24 through verse 30, it mentions how the elders of the people of Israel went to the tent of meeting and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Such a powerful display of God's power. And they prophesied. They only did it just once, it seems. But it also mentions that the Holy Spirit fell upon two guys in the midst of the camp that were not at the tent of meeting. And their names are listed for us, Eldad and Medad. Now, these two men, out of nowhere, received the Holy Spirit, and they started prophesying. In other words, they were speaking the word of God to people. And people were very interested in what was going on. They were a little concerned, and it was weird, but they were interested. It came to Joshua, when he heard about it, that he wanted to silence them. And Moses seems to respond in such a way in that maybe Joshua was concerned that he was going to lose his leadership. And the way that Moses replies to Joshua suggests that Joshua's intentions and his motivations were pure, in that he wanted to defend his Lord Moses, because perhaps these two guys prophesying showed a lack of leadership in Moses, where that he is not the only one in charge, and he would lose some credibility. But Moses didn't take it like that. We see that his response shows that he's not motivated by any desire for self-exaltation. He doesn't care if he's exalted or not. He doesn't care if he's popular or famous or in charge. He simply wants God to be glorified because look at what he says. He says, oh, that all of God's people would be prophets, that his spirit would fall upon them. How beautiful that is because you know what? God fulfilled that in his people today, right? God fulfilled that at Pentecost after Christ returned to heaven. All of God's people 
now have the Holy Spirit fallen upon them, and all of God's people are prophets in their own right. It is so beautiful to see how Moses is pleased and how he would love to see all of God's people be prophets. It actually happened. It came true. Moses didn't get to see it, but it came true. He has made us all prophets in some way. Such a beautiful illustration here. And this is very true. If we are called prophets, that means we are speakers of the mouth of God. Everything that comes out of our mouth should be truth. It should be God's word. It should be glorifying him and not ourselves. It's not about our positions. It's not about what we have. Our prosperity comes from God, and so God deserves all the credit. Is that why you do what you do as a Christian? For the glory of God and not for your glory? I certainly hope that's the case. Because don't forget what happened here a little bit earlier when Moses was freaking out. He was concerned because all these people were crying out for meat. And God said he would take care of it. And Moses had the same issue that a lot of the people in the New Testament had. When Jesus had at least 5,000 people in a field listening to him speak, he told the disciples to feed them. And they only had, what, five loaves and two fish. And God multiplied it, and everyone was full at the end of it. God is the God of multiplication. And do not forget what God said here. Is the Lord's power limited? The short answer is no, it is not limited. Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. God is worthy to be trusted. God has fulfilled everything he has ever said he would do, even if you don't understand how he's going to do it. Trust God with the results. You just obey. You just have faith, and he'll take care of the rest. And now this leads us into the psalm for today. This is a psalm of forgiveness. And some scholars suggest that this might actually be the sequel, or part two, of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one we'll get into later, but that is the psalm where David confesses his sin with Bathsheba. And in that psalm, there is such deep theological truth in there that we must understand too, but he fully admits what he did. And he knows that he sinned in God's sight, and he asks for restoration. This one seems to almost be like a continuation of it. It may not be, but it just seems that way. In the first five verses of this psalm, he is talking about the forgiveness that comes from chastening, which is the discipline of the Lord, and confession. These are essential in the Christian walk. If you are truly a child of God, he will subject you to chastening. You will be disciplined along the way. Not all the trials are pleasant, but they all will profit you. They're all designed to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Christ. But along the way, we have to acknowledge and confess our sins to God. Like it says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and 
you forgave the guilt of my sin. How many of you all have held on to sin without confessing it for a long period of time? I'm raising my hand. You can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. It is exactly like this psalm, right? When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. It eats you up inside. Sin deteriorates you. It causes you to slowly die inside. And it could take a physical toll on you. We need to be people of confession, not only to each other and the wrongs that we do to each other, but we need to be close enough to God to trust Him with confessing our sins to Him. We need to be people of confession and repentance. Confession is what leads to repentance, because we have to first acknowledge our sins, right? It's like the first step of addictions. You have to acknowledge that you have a problem. If you don't acknowledge that there's a problem, you can't repent. You have to first admit that you're a sinner and believe that God can forgive you, and then you need to confess to the Lord. That's the basics of living the Christian life. And then it says something interesting here in verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Very interesting wording there. Only godly people will confess their sins. Only people who are truly saved will do that. But it also suggests that there's a time limit on it. We don't know when Christ will return. We don't know when our life will end. So while you are able, we need to confess our sins and repent in the Lord's presence. There may be a time where he will not be found, because either it is too late, or it is time for us to depart this world. So the whole point of this is to not delay when it comes to repenting, for reconciling, and for confessing. It will not go well if you hold on to your sins. It will rot you away. You cannot serve the Lord with a clear conscience if you're holding on to secret sins. And I say that as somebody that has his own. Some things that I can't share with even my wife that are going on with me. But at the end of the day, God knows our sins, whether we confess them or not. He still wants us to confess to him. He wants our heart to be pure and right in his sight. And if you do that, things will go well for you. You will be at peace. You will have God's strength on your side. You will be able to endure the trials. You will see God working in your life, and you will be more sensitive to his will. Consider that today as you go through your days. Our scripture to memorize today will be in Psalm chapter 32, verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.